values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. And all your guilty stains, let that river alive wash it Appreciate you spending some time with me this morning. Happy Thursday. Um, interesting read this morning about the diesel shortage in America, and it hasn't always been this way. Why is it going in this direction? And the conversation America has been having. These are the real conversations that Americans are having. I can guarantee you this. Um, every one of us knows people that use diesel fuel. I think we do. You know, I grew up kind of in the country. You know, I was a redneck at heart and uh, everybody drove diesel trucks. It was just kind of a thing. Um, And the reasoning behind it is it's cheaper, or it used to be anyway, because you got better gas mileage with a diesel truck. The the motors seemed to last longer and it it was just, uh, there was a lot of reasons to own a a diesel truck. That's why you see diesel trucks being used as over-the-road truckers do because of better gas mileage. And what we're seeing now is a shortage of diesel fuel in this country, and it's a manufacturing refining issue as much as it is an issue getting the heavier oil because – and this really is because of what's going on in Russia and Ukraine, and there's a – there is some – you know, truth to that, that that heavier oil that's used to produce heating oil for your home and diesel for your home, for your vehicles is made with that heavier oil, and a lot of that comes from that region. But what we are seeing is a refining issue in the U.S. And people, the experts have been warning about this for a little while, and now it's becoming critical. And the deflection that's happening is not a really a fair deflection. And there's a story written about this diesel crisis and the experts that are saying what's making it worse. I, you, we have to acknowledge, I will continue to do this out of fairness, but also because I don't want to get dragged down into the argument. There is none of this is completely 100 percent the president of the United States fault. Never said it is. As a matter of fact, I've said the opposite. There is truth to what's going on in Russia and Ukraine when it comes to food shortages and when it comes to the price of fuel and oil. But it is also true there are things that this administration did that drove up the price of fuel long before the war. There are things they continue to do that keep prices higher than they need to be. The war that they have waged first against oil in the drilling and exploration and the regulation and everything else that drove up prices is one thing. The demonization is another, and that's where the problem lies, the demonization of these industries. Well, this is a story from the Daily Caller News Foundation. Uh, The implemented policies that have hurt diesel production and caused stockpiles to hit their lowest level since 2008. The U.S. is facing a shortage, which is causing the Biden administration to consider taking action to shore up supplies and, and fuel refinery Refiners struggle to produce enough fuel to meet heavy demand. Diesel supplies have become dangerously low due to a recent refinery closure that have been exacerbated by the Biden administration's regulations as well as increased fuel demand following the coronavirus pandemic. So at a time when we should be ramping up production, they're actually closing refineries, and it has a lot to do with these policies. I don't know why Americans um, won't at least look at that and take that under, under consideration. The very same oil companies, the same oil companies, companies that were charging you less than $3 a gallon for four years are now the ones that are profiteering and, and are, are taking advantage of the American people. It doesn't make any sense. It is an emotional argument. The problem you have to look at is what, what are some of the policies that could change? Instead, it's we're going to implement these policies. We're going to make it harder for them to do their jobs. We're going to make it more expensive for them to do their jobs. Then we're going to go after them and tell them they've got to cut their prices. They also have record profits. They do. 
They have a, a ton of profit. But the oil industry is making the same argument that the Biden administration made before, which is we don't set the price on oil. That is an international thing, and our government's doing nothing. So calls for extensions for extension of windfall taxes, BP post eye-watering profit is a headline. Company under pressure after reporting a big uh, 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 billions of dollars in profits in the third quarter as the Ukraine war drives up gas prices. So you can see there where the line of belief or what the line that they're going with is that that is what is causing this. Um, and this one gets me. I, I, I have a question about this one. Diesel big rigs have belched smog for years. California may soon ban them. What are you going to do? What exactly do they plan on doing in California without big rigs? And, you know, you're still going to have petroleum-based products. The argument in this country, the conversation we should be having in this country is about how we ease things for the American people. I've made this case before, and I think it, it fits now more than ever. The Biden administration could turn around in one day, and he could be well over 50 percent in approval rating if he just made statements about what he believes needs to happen. But he can't do it on the backs of the working American families because that's who's paying these prices. That who, you know, someone that's wealthy, a wealthy family or a wealthy individual is inconvenienced by much higher prices. Middle class and working class families are the ones that are impacted dramatically by it. Small businesses trying to keep their financial heads above water, looking in the face of tax increases, and now these increases are are horrifying to these businesses. If the President of the United States would say, I still believe that the biggest issue that this world is facing is climate change. We've got to do something about it. I don't agree with the principle, but I know where he stands. This is the most important issue in his in his administration is climate change. There's a reason why we are having a national conversation. This is a little bit of a, a side note. There's a reason why in this country we're having a national conversation about schools and how children, because of the pandemic, whether you agree with the shutdowns or you don't, but during the pandemic, it has severely damaged children's learning. That kids are well behind where they were before in reading and in math skills. And we've got to find a way to catch them up to speed. There's a reason why we're having that national conversation. And the Biden administration has given over $2 billion for electric buses. It is directly connected to his belief that climate change is the number one issue that the world faces. But if he came out and said there is no way and use all of the all of the things that you've been using, keep using them. We could not have anticipated a war between Russia and Ukraine. We certainly didn't anticipate it was going to last as long as it has and be as damaging as, as it has been. We see food shortages because of the wheat that comes out of that region. We are also going to see heating oil prices go way up, diesel prices going way up. This is directly part of Putin's price hike. We have to do something about this. So, yes, I still believe our climate change agenda needs to be achieved. But what we're going to have to do is pause some of our policies that are leading in that direction because the American people. People are paying too high of a price. So until this war ends and until we can do something different, we are going to get rid of some of these policies and some of these restrictions. We're going to make it easier for the oil and gas companies to drill and to um, manufacture and refine so that we can have enough diesel for the trucks on the road and we can have the heating oil that we need in this country. We're going to do all of that because the American people, the working class in America, should not be footing this bill. If he said that. 
He would have everybody that agrees with him on climate change cheering him on and a bunch of people in the middle that don't necessarily agree with his climate change agenda. But him saying, I got to pause this for the good of the American people. He'd be a hero. He'd be a hero. He will not change his policies. He won't even acknowledge that his policies are having any contribution to what's happening. And that's what's frustrating to people. Coming up in a minute, um, is the Office of Accountability which is, and Transparency in the city of Phoenix, it's an oversight board in policing. Is it essential to the city of Phoenix? We'll talk about it next. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. And thanks for being here. Appreciate you spending some time. The question is, is this essential? Because that is what's being said. Uh, The office, they call it OAT, Office of Accountability and Transparency. It's changed course because of an Arizona law that required uh, having law enforcement in any – in any organization that oversees or investigates law enforcement. So they've changed course. The office is instead opting to change course, moving forward with monitoring Phoenix police investigations as opposed to leading them, says their director, Roger Smith. It's more important to have monitoring if you don't have investigation because you need civilian independent eyes on this process, he says. This is essential. And that's kind of been my question about this because I am someone that believes in oversight. I have no problem with oversight, never have, never will. I think there should be accountability for everyone. The problem is what does this what does this office do? If they are just overseeing and monitoring, what does that mean? What rights do they have? What what conclusions can they come to? And this is where we've seen in the past, and this looked to me when this office was first formed by the city of Phoenix, that it was kind of caving into a part of um, the city. That want, that believed that cops could not monitor cops and the prosecutor's office wouldn't prosecute because they were all in it together to cover up crimes by cops. Therefore, you needed people not connected to either one to have some power in overseeing this. And that's not ever been true. It isn't. That's not how it's ever worked. When you look and I, I will tell you, um, unfortunately, I've seen many times where police officers are held accountable for mistakes and for bad behavior. You hate seeing it, or I hate seeing it, because I think law enforcement is a noble profession, and anybody that does the wrong thing in that uniform or when you're carrying that badge um, gives a, puts a stain on the entire agency or the entire profession. We talked about a video that surfaced on Facebook yesterday with the chief of police. In Phoenix, and we talked with them about the internal investigation and a criminal investigation that's going on. And anytime there is a violent interaction with police and with the public, there are two investigations that happen. We get investigated. You and I would get investigated one time criminally. They get investigated criminally, and they get investigated in a policy investigation to find out if they broke um, agency policy and if they have how severe and what that punishment within the agency. Uh, could be or should be. And I don't know that people cover stuff up. I, I, I haven't seen. It's not like cops are covering for other cops. If you the truth be told, just like when there are bad teachers, teachers that prey upon other, you know, upon students, children, um, teachers hate those kind of teachers. A teacher that preys upon ch- children 
Nobody hates a bad teacher more than a good teacher. And the same thing with cops. Nobody hates bad cops more than good cops. And does is reform necessary? It's always necessary. You know, when I was a little kid, you know, cops carried a revolver and what they called a billy club or a nightstick. That was it. That was what was at their disposal as far as weaponry went to defend themselves if they got into a physical altercation. Now there are so many different, less less lethal forms of defense for officers and for deputies and for troopers. Um, and they have to, you know, they have to be able to have those things at their disposal. Oversight is one thing. Overkill is another. So I have no reason to believe that they aren't honorable in the Office of Accountability and Transparency, that OAT – I don't have any reason to believe that they are out there trying to do harm to the police. But the idea that they're saying it's essential to have this kind of oversight still keeps the insinuation out there that the police cannot police themselves or will not police themselves. So I don't know that it's essential. I don't know that it's – I haven't seen them do anything yet that would say that they're horribly wrong. But how, I don't know that it's essential either. What does it do to morale to have cops say people in this city don't think we can be honest or that we are honest? The video that's circulating on social media right now about Phoenix PD where two officers were shot at and then are being really rough with with a suspect. And at one point, it looks like he's in handcuffs and gets kicked. Um, those officers were held accountable immediately when it was found out. It wasn't once it got released to the public. They did an internal investigation and put them both on administrative leave before that video ever made it out to the public. That is the behavior, generally speaking, of the police. When you step out of line or it's possible that you've stepped out of line, when it looks like you've stepped out of line, when an investigation needs to happen, they act and they do it. They don't sweep things under the rug. And I know there are people out there that believe that it's more – and I'm not saying it's never happened. I'm not saying it's never happened. But it is more likely than not that it's investigated and handled properly. You know, I have a, I have a friend, and I still consider him a friend, that did the wrong thing. And he lost his job in the police department. And – a lot of people said, you know, in that moment, when you lose your temper, when something happens, it, it, you got to pay the consequences. It's unfortunate. Someone who had a, a great career was a good person and made a huge mistake and did something wrong and lost his job. They didn't sweep it under the rug. And, and I just think that when you say it's essential, I wouldn't go that far. I wouldn't go as far as to say it's essential. Coming up in a moment. Um, Oh, migrants receiving roadmaps to get to the U.S., but it's who's giving it to them is the story. So we'll get to that coming up in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. One of the biggest issues that the country is facing right now, and I think it's going to be a problem that we face in years down the uh, road, what's happening right now will have a bigger effect years down the road, is what's happening at our southern border. Uh, I've talked about this quite a few times because we live in a border state. It's big to all of us. It's important to all of us. Yesterday, uh, we talked about a story that was written where the media actually went down to Yuma and asked the people of Yuma how they felt about what the governor is doing by putting barriers up, by using shipping containers to build barriers where there are gaps in the wall. And most of the people that down there said it's helping and they're glad that it's doing what it's doing. And it's interesting is the people of Yuma – 
uh, have been have shown themselves to be good benevolent people have said we understand that people are hurting we understand but there's only so much help that we can give and that is a part of it as well you know I am someone who be- I am a big believer in giving we talked about it at length a couple of times yesterday about being intentional givers where you can whether it's with the money that you have the talent that you have or the time that you have being able to give of yourself is is what we should be doing in communities and I believe as a nation having the greatest economy in the world, we do have an obligation um, as Americans to open our doors to other people that want to come here and be Americans. It's what's made our country great as great as it is right now. Um, But what's happening on our southern border is um, it's so politically motivated in many in every way that we're we're taken away from right and wrong. And now it's about right and left. Uh, there's a story here, exclusive. Migrants are given literal roadmaps to reach the U.S. border, and big tech is funding it. Um, we're, we're helping people break American laws. And I look at that and I think, you know, um, should we change things? We absolutely should. We should have an immigration system in the 21st century that is a 21st century immigration system. We should be able to do more with the system that we have. We should be able to allow people to come here and flourish as Americans. I believe that to be true. Uh, if you want to, you want to end a labor shortage. You know, here we are in America saying that we are going to guarantee incomes for people and then complain that Americans don't want to do the jobs. Well, then what motivates them? You know. There's a sense of entitlement that every one of us is entitled to a basic income. That is so foreign to me. I don't understand that way of thinking at all. I don't want anything given to me other than opportunity. And you have people that are clamoring at our door that just want an opportunity. They're not asking for guaranteed income. They're not asking for anything but a chance. Why wouldn't we welcome people like that into this country? I've said it before. I believe it to be true. It will be immigrants to this country that save this country. People that have come here from socialists. Somebody just sent me a message uh, from a woman that's here from North Korea, and she was talking about how the North Korean government promised to feed everybody and take care of everybody. Just give us your land, and we'll take care of you. And that's how North Korea became the, the nation that it is, and that people are trying to get out. People are prisoners in their own nation. And it is always that guaranteed fairness and guaranteed outcome that leads us down these roads as we get lazier and lazier. But there is a world full of people that want to be Americans. And why aren't we working harder to welcome them? Well, part of the issue now is we don't have control of our border. We don't know who's coming and going. The people that are on the terror watch list that are coming in in droves, which we've been warning about and have been warned about for a long time. Didn't 9-11 teach us a lesson about people that overstay visas? Didn't 9-11 teach us lessons about you don't have to be an army to take down people. All you have to do is be willing to trade your life for thousands of other lives. And so people that wish to do us harm understand how porous our border is, and they find their way into the country and wish to do us harm. So there is good people coming here for good intentions. There are people that have asylum claims that are legitimate, that deserve by American law, by American benevolence, they deserve asylum in our country. 
They are waiting in long lines, years long, to get the satisfaction and the asylum that they deserve in many cases because of the system that is so clogged up with people that are doing it illegitimately. There are criminals that are mixed in with the good people looking to work. There are people that are bringing drugs and human trafficking and sex trafficking into our country. It is happening. And instead of us sorting through the you – know, we call it culling the herd. Instead of us making sure that the good stays and the bad goes, we get what we have right now. And years down the road, we have got the next generation of dreamers already putting down roots here in the U.S. We, are, we have created a second class, which is unconstitutional. We have a group of people that are legitimate uh, – can stay here. we got the dreamers that can stay, but you're not really official. But we got this, and we're going to give you piecemeal that, and we are got propositions to give you in-state tuition, and we're going to do this. But we haven't officially done anything with you yet. And right behind them is another generation that is going to have the same problem. It is, it is a system that is so frightening and so infuriating, and we could fix it. We could have a guest worker program and solve a lot of our problems in a border state like Arizona when it comes to building homes and, and, and work that people would want to do would gladly do. It could help solve some of the economic issues in the countries where these people are coming from because they'd be able to send part of their wages home and how much further the American dollar goes in those poor countries and how it could bolster the economy of those countries if people came here in a guest worker program, a visa program for people you know, for that are skilled labor in areas that we really need, whether it's high tech or otherwise, all of these things that we have that could either be expanded or could be run much better could be done. And it starts with border security, secure the border, make sure we know who's coming and who's going, and then have a system of fairness that allows people to come into this country to live the American dream. That sounds like an immigration system that America could be proud of, that we should be proud of. Instead, look at what it's done. Look what it's done to this country. We are divided down the middle. You've got people that are in sanctuary cities saying they are overwhelmed with what's being sent there by Republican governors, and the Republican governors are saying, hey, wait a minute, you're only getting one small taste of what we're enduring in our states. Now you know how we feel. And instead of them saying, you know what? I didn't understand it. Now I understand. Let's go to the White House. We're we're Democrat mayors in cities like New York and Chicago and Washington, D.C. Why aren't we going to our own party and saying, you got to do something about this? If Arizona is having as much trouble as we are, and we know it's worse down in Arizona and Texas, why aren't we doing something about this? And instead, it rips us apart. It's right versus left instead of right versus wrong. It's frustrating. Joe Biden is wrong on this one. Joe Biden and Vice President Harris are wrong on this. Their policies are wrong. They've gotten it wrong. People are dying. People are suffering. And it's people on both sides of the border. The only people that are flourishing under this plan from this White House are the cartels. They are the only ones benefiting. Not the cities on the American side of the border, not the cities on the Mexican side of the border or in other countries where refugees are waiting. I should say migrants are waiting because they know they're going to be turned back. Guatemala is filled with people from Venezuela that have escaped Venezuela and waiting to come to the U.S. But the policy in the U.S. that said no. So they're waiting there. They've got no help from the Americans. So they're not benefiting from this. The migrants that are coming certainly aren't benefiting. They're being treated like cattle and worse than cattle, like cargo. And then the only ones that benefit are the millions of dollars that are being brought in by the cartels that they're turning into weapons and they're turning into drugs and power in their country. The president of the United States is wrong on this one. He is absolutely wrong on this one. He is 100 – 
He is 100% wrong on this one. So um, this is we've got to be able to to fix this issue. And hopefully, hopefully somebody will. Coming up in a moment, um, what changes? What changes may be coming to the voter laws in Arizona? Because it's on the ballot. We'll talk about that coming up in a moment. and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. During King LASIK's season of savings, LASIK for both eyes is now just $3,500. That's a $2,000 savings. Couple that savings with 0% financing for 24 months on approved credit. And credit. And with LASIK, Dr. King is only $146 a month. Go to kinglasik.com slash Arizona for complete details. It's a great deal. Um, Voters' rights in Arizona. Look at what might be changing. Um, so here is a couple of things you need to know about changing laws. Voters will decide whether to tighten ID laws. Arizona already verifies signatures for those who vote by mail and require voters at the polls to present a photo ID or two items that show the name and address of the voter when you go to the polls. But Prop 309 will require early voters to write their birth date and government ID number in addition to their signature on early ballot affidavits. I'm anxious to see where, what direction this goes. Um, and it isn't so much that I'm worried about somebody's identity being stolen, although that would be a concern for people. My concern with that would be, and I'm not for or against this, I'm, I'm just throwing this out there. My concern with this would be our ballots are supposed to be secret. And so the way they do things now is on the outside of the envelope, they match the signature with the signature that they have on file to make sure that your signatures match. But then I think it's somebody else that separates the envelope from the ballot and the envelopes are set aside and the ballots are stacked. So there's no way to look and compare with how this person in this envelope, how they voted, because our ballots are supposed to be a secret ballot. Does having all of this information, would it be would it compromise that? I don't know that it would or it wouldn't. But that was the first question that came to my mind. But what I do, what I would say is this, especially when it comes to identifying yourself to vote, we understand, and it's, it's this is a fair thing to say, that there are people in this country that, especially in a, in a state like Arizona, which is a border state, there are people here that are not entitled to vote. They are not citizens of this country. And I think when you earn citizenship in America, you've earned the right to vote for our leaders. That's what Americanism is. But if you are not a citizen in this country, you should not have the right to vote. I mean, that, that, that's not I don't think I'm being racist in saying that. And when you're in a state that has got so many people in this country illegally or in the state illegally, um, it is something that we would be concerned about that who's voting. And I don't think I'll be honest, I don't think there are massive numbers of people that are trying to vote illegally. I just think that we ask for identification for so many things, and it is just a part of who we are, and no one questions it. So the people that say it disenfranchises voters unfairly, it it just doesn't make any sense. They're trying to make it so you can get an ID card, a state-certified ID card for free. It won't let you drive a car, but it will be one that will be proof of ID when you vote. And I don't think I don't know why anybody would have why anybody would have a problem with that. And again, this argument about stolen elections, I get it. I understand that passionate argument on both sides of this thing. But if you want to quell some of that fire, then what you do is you make sure the areas that could be weaknesses are shored up. 
You look at the advances, at the advancement we've seen in credit card fraud. You know, it used to be all you kids out there gather around the radio. I'm going to explain something about the good old days. It used to be before they had a record or you were chipped or you had the strip on the back of your card. You it was the honor system. You the the merchant scratch you know ran your card through a card reader, which was like this um, copy machine thing where you put your card in there. They wrote the amount in and then they 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 rubbed over the top of it and it made an impression of your credit card number and your name. And you didn't know if that was legit or not. They had to send it in to get the money for it. Then we got the magnetic strip on the back. Or the, you know what I mean, the the strip on the back. Then we got chips. Now you just tap it to pay for things. We have upped the way that we look for identity theft and fraud. And nobody says it's because we're concerned that I'm worried. We're so worried. No, we're just trying to stay ahead of the possibilities. We know that it exists. We're not saying that it's widespread or that it's, it's, it's epidemic. But we know that fraud happens. So the areas where it could be fraudulent, shore them up. I just don't I don't understand. I just don't understand why that is an issue. I've got nothing against voting by mail. I think Maricopa County does it the right way. But what are we doing to ensure that it's as secure as possible without interfering with people's rights to vote? Easy to vote, hard to cheat. I mean, that that sounds so simple. And it is. And those are the things we should be looking at without the partisan politics of arguing of we don't need to do anything any different ever. Everything is just fine. Well, that, it's, that's not always true. But at the same time, we shouldn't be – we're looking at the fact that every election has been stolen or compromised when it doesn't go our way. That's not true either. There's got to be some semblance of right and wrong here, and, and trying to make things better is a good thing. It's a very good thing. Will President Obama's visit yesterday sway people to vote Democrat? We're going to let you hear a little bit of what the former president had to say, what the current president had to say in a speech that he had. And will any of these rallies for either side of the aisle make the difference in very close races? It's something we're going to talk about here in just a couple of moments, so please stick around for it. 